Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Gosselin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. We were fortunate to have a visit from two of the team from Blair Athol Distillery to the vaults in February for a special tasting of four expressions of Blair Athol whiskey, along with a sample of one of the Society's own single cask offerings. Blair Athol Distillery Manager Derek Uni was joined by Peter Milne from Diageo's Whiskey Specialist Team to talk members through the samples and provide insight into the history and working of the distillery, what to expect from Blair Athol's spirit character and how it works with different casks and different forms of maturation. Good evening folks. How are we all doing? We okay? The anticipation was probably getting a wee bit too much there, so we'll, we'll not, not hold you up too much longer, you know. Uh, so, as Dean said, I'm Derek Uni, I'm the distillery manager at Blair Athol Distillery. This is the first um, Blair Athol visit that's been hosted, certainly in recent history. Um, so it's a, a real privilege to come, to come and kind of share some of what we do at Blair Athol with yourselves. Um, and we've got a, a really nice range of um, kind of expressions uh, to, to share with you. So little bit about me, just a little bit, it's not about me. Um, my background is mechanical maintenance engineering, um, 20 years in oil and gas after that, and then uh, eight years at Blair Athol as a uh, manager there. So, and I would go into the job, but it's very, very varied, changes every day, but this is some of the nice bits that we, we get to do, you know. <laughs> um, so, I'll let Peter talk for a wee bit, just about himself. Okay. And then we'll get into a little bit about the distillery as well, and then we'll get some trams. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Peter Milne. I'm part of the whiskey specialist team at Diageo, um, which is a team of 12 uh, blenders. So we're responsible for all of Diageo's um, uh, blended scotches and single malts um, in terms of the, the quality. So I've been part of that team for uh, just over two years uh, and I joined Diageo back in 2016 mm. as part of the process support team so I was based up in, in Elgin uh, up in Speyside um, and my responsibility in that role was um, working with sites like Blair Athol and working with Derek um, and looking at um, <clears throat> production efficiency and spirit quality so I was part of the New Make Spirit uh, nosing panel uh, in Elgin as well. So, real pleasure to be here and, and uh, great to be able to share some Blade Athol uh, whiskies with you tonight. Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, Peter's going to answer. <laughs> thanks for that, Dean. <laughs> Peter's going to answer all awkward questions um, and I'll take some of the credit. Uh, so, a little bit about the distillery. Um, just a show of hands, who's been to Blade Athol Distillery for a tour or a visit? Oh, so a bit of a half and half. Why, those that haven't been, why not? <laughs> it's a bit, of a, a bit of a genuine question. You know, it's, it's a little bit far away in terms of distance. It's not the most kind of marketed or promoted distillery perhaps, you know, um, but I like that. You know, those reasons are, are, are um, they make me kind of, yeah, more proud of the distillery because it's quite unique, quite uh, exclusive, I guess, because of its size, its location. Um, so a little bit of history, we were founded in 1798, so 226 years old this year, not me, uh, the distillery itself. Um, went through a bit of a change around the, the, the Great Recession, where we closed for 
probably five or six years. I forget that was all number now. It's five or six years uh, during the, the kind of Second World War as well. Alexander Bell, Arthur Bell rather, took off took over the distillery in 1949. That was well remembered. <laughs> um, 1949, and it's been I guess associated with Bell's ever since then. When I joined eight years ago, the same year as Peter joined, actually, 2016, um, there was a bit of a change in terms of still producing for Bells and the Blair Athol single malt, but the focus was shifting to more of the Blair Athol kind of single malt as opposed to the Bells blend. Um, Bells is popular worldwide, but the Blair Athol kind of single malt didn't get much limelight, again, which is good to an extent, but it needed a little bit of a boost, you know. And it's good for the visitor centre as well, the brand home. Um, so yeah, and now, I mean, I guess up until about four years ago, we had the busiest brand home or visitor centre in all of Diageo. Up to 90,000 visitors, um, 2019. So yeah, that was, there's people everywhere, <laughs> you can imagine. So, as I mentioned, Blair Athol's quite exclusive. We don't have a, an expression for every day of the week. Again, I like that. You know, if you think about things like Talisker, perhaps, or, or other distilleries, um, there are many of them. They've got quite a few expressions and quite a lot of choice. We don't have that many. However, the first one we're going to try tonight is a 12-year-old. That's our staple, our kind of, uh, how can I put this, standard dram. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it tastes like. I'm not going to tell you what it smells like, because that's your job. Um, I know what it tastes like. This is, this is um, part of the flora and fauna range. I'm sure you're all aware of kind of mid-90s, 95, I think it was, around 95. Um, Diageo introduced the flora and fauna range, probably around 26, 27 drams from different distilleries, Blair Athol being one of them. The whole purpose of that was to increase the visibility of some of these lesser known distilleries, you know, that didn't have the marketing budget, didn't have the glossy magazines, you know. So, and that was 30 years ago, you know, and it's still going strong. Um, we're not a massive distillery. We can produce up to about 2.8 million litres per year. Sounds like quite a big number, but if you compare it to somewhere like Glenord, for example, they're 20 million, you know. So small in that respect. Um, now, we're at a five-day site at the moment, so we're producing at 1.8, 1.9 million just now, as we speak, in fact. The fact that we're a small distillery, not a massive production, um, it makes it more exclusive, exclusive for a start. You know, so the 12 that you're about to taste is, it is our standard ram, but there's not that much of it on the go. You know, we're probably talking about 20,000, 30,000 bottles a year, every year, so you need to buy them up quick before they run out, you know. Um, and then it also makes the special ones that we're going to taste later even more special because there's even less of them, you know. So anyway, enough of my chat for now. Uh, I'll let you... Is a lot of your whiskey still going to Bell's? Yes, yes, good question. Um, so 99.7% of what we make goes into Bell's. The team that, that Peter's involved with, the blending team, take that 99.7% um, and we keep 0.3% for ourselves. Again, it sounds very small, which is quite nice, you know, exclusive. So, and the Bells brand is, is very much our foundation, part of our heritage, and we are where we are because of that. Um, 
but we like to promote Blairathel a little bit more. It's uh, a different, different part of the market, you know. Okay, yeah, and, and Blairathel is a really kind of important part of the, ble the Bell's blend as well. It's, it's kind of the signature style and blends in uh, Bell's. Um, and obviously there's that historical link to, to Arthur Bell as well. So, yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's predominantly uh, a, a malt whiskey for, for blended scotch. Um, but it has its own single malt um, yes. range as well, which, uh, which is what we have here uh, mm -hmm. tonight. So. so, anybody fancy we nose and we taste? So, this is 43%, um, kind of low to medium strength. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you'll know a little bit about Blairathel, but uh, I'm not going to be um, presumptuous. You know, but I'm not going to be condescending either, not deliberately. Sherry cask, European oak, uh, like I say, 12 year old, 43% in, in terms of strength. Um, there's, there's a bit of a, a debate often happens, you know, does it need water, does it not? That's not for me to call. It's nice either way, you know. Um, so I'll let you kind of, and I'm quite happy to, well, we're quite happy, I should say, just to feedback anytime, jump in with questions or thoughts, anything that you stands out for you, or does it not impact you at all? You know. This in a sherry cask throughout, or just finished. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah. Sorry, Peter. Yeah, all the way through. Um, really comes through. <laughs> it really comes through, um, and the colour as well. You know, it's it's a it's a reassuring colour in my mind. You know. Um, without kind of planting any seeds in your head either, you know, this is quite a good pairing um, for, for sweet chocolates maybe, or savoury. You know, maybe, maybe some um, hors d'oeuvres or, or, you know, canapes. It does go very well. It's, it's not offensive, it's not overpowering, but it's strong enough to withstand, you know, kind of smoked fish or, or smoked cheese, or even a high quality dark chocolate. Um, but these are these are relatively small bottlings, so we know as every cask that goes into into a vatting of um, Blairathel 12. Um, this one specifically is 100% um, sherry cask, so for the for the uh, duration of its its maturation, um, Blairathel uh, Blairathel's new make uh, character is is known for being quite kind of. Um, malty, we, so we describe um, or we characterise it as nutty uh, or nutty spicy mm -hmm. uh, in terms of its new mate character and it, and it um, is quite kind of, it's one of a few, a few distilleries uh, in Diageo that produce that style of spirit um, but it's quite a kind of complex, quite a robust style of new make and it, and it pairs really well with, <coughs> uh, with European oak and with sherry um, because it can, it can kind of um, you know, stand up to the to a lot of wood influence. So, um, if it was a really kind of light, delicate whiskey, it would be overwhelmed by the by the wood and by the sherry influence. Um, but mm. it, yeah, in this case, it's um, because it has, you know, it's quite robust as a as a new make spirit. It, it pairs well with this style of cask. So we have a, a kind of in-house bodega. So so Diageo obviously is a, you know, we produce a lot of whiskey. Um, so um, there's, we actually have, a, have our own bodega at, um, in a place called Cambus, um, mm -hmm. and so we season our own uh, casks. So we, um, 
we get wines uh, from uh, from Spain, so Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez, and and uh, this will be shared. This will be seasoned with a, a combination of Oloroso and, and, and PX. Um, so essentially, a, a cream sherry. The good thing about having a kind of in-house system for that is that we can obviously control the quality and, and make sure that it's going into, um, you know, make sure that the cask has the activity and has the influence that we want it to have. We assess the quality of, of all the kind of the wines that we're using, um, and you know, make sure that the quality is is um, is good enough to, to be used for seasoning. So if we disgorge the sherry and it's good enough um, after disgorging it we, to use it again, then we'll use it again. So, um, it, you know, it's a really, um, in terms of uh, the output of sherry casks or, or the, um, the number of sherry casks that we require, you know, for blended scotch and for, um, for our malts, um, the, you know, rather than sort of buying in all the casks from Spain, it makes a lot more sense to do it in-house. So in terms of 12-year-old, um, not so long ago, maybe, I don't know, 20, 30, even 40 years ago, right enough, um, Blairathel was an eight-year-old, standard eight-year-old, was a little bit peaty as well, um, just based on the production capabilities of the distillery, what was available at the time. Um, but I guess markets have changed, palates have changed, and we've moved with that. And, and as I mentioned before, this was part of the flora and fauna range, um, and it still stands as part of that flora and fauna labelling and the marketing behind it, you know. Yeah, so the sherry, obviously, it's heavily sherried, you know, that stands out. You think of things like Christmas cake, you know, dried fruits, um, very versatile, not too overpowering, but has enough kind of body to stand up to some pretty powerful flavours, you know. Um, the water, for me, would, tends to flatten it a little bit. But that's, that's just my personal taste, you know. Um, it does take a little bit of the edge off the alcohol as well. Um, so, I'm just weary of time. I could ramble on all night, but I'm not going to. We'll move on to the next one. <laughs> so, we'll talk a little bit about this one first. A bit of a change in colour this time. A little bit lighter. What might that suggest, do you think? Bourbon Yes. Yes, bourbon cask. So, every year... Um, Blair Athol um, select and produce a distillery exclusive bottling roughly 6,000 bottles every year um, big difference obviously in the colour down the bourbon cask um, Peter can maybe talk a little bit about the, the, the casking of it and, and how that came about um, this one is one of my favourites um, for a number of reasons um, myself and two of my my operators uh, and my team selected this with Peter. Um, we went through the nosing kind of process and, and ruled things in, ruled things out, and came up with this one. Um, so quite proud of this one. Um, I'm proud of them all, but this one I was more involved with, you know, which is quite nice. Um, the prominent thing here, it's, uh, it's got a red wine finish. Uh, a baroque. So not not finished. Sorry, but we, sorry. We've included uh, we've included some wine casks in the in the blend in the kind of batting of casks. Okay. So. A little bit of a prickle there, for me anyway. The tongue, a bit of suggestion of, of a higher kind of strength alcohol, you know. And I like that. It's quite reassuring, you know. And I also think that the the colour, like many people, we buy with our eyes first, or we eat with our eyes, we drink with our eyes. Um, it's got that kind of, hmm, how old's that? Look about it, but we shouldn't be presumptive, of course. Um, 
but the flavour speaks volumes for me. It's non-edge declared as a yeah. as a um, as a whisky, but it's a kind of combination of different ages. So I think between maybe eight and eleven um, are the casks that went into it. So it's um, yeah, I think it it was it was kind of using. Uh, it, it kind of depends on how active the casks were. So um, yeah. Yeah, generally, the more active, you can use them a little bit earlier, and if they're less active, you want to you want to mature them a little bit longer. Um, so this one, the, the, like the this, so the signature kind of new make style of of Blade Athol is this nutty, spicy character. Mm -hmm. I think so. It, it's it's a really important component in blends because it adds that kind of maltiness. It adds a bit of depth and and mouthfeel, um, and I find the the new make has a has a kind of almost like a Belgian beer. It's got that kind of spicy clove-like character and, and dried spice, um, and, and uh, quite a bit of sweetness as well, um, even before it goes into a cask. So, it, it, with this, I think you get you get um, that coming through. It's it's not overwhelmed by too much wood influence, um, and it balances yep. well. So that that was the kind of key of you know part of the the kind of blending process was how do we balance these different styles? Because you've got American oak, um, or sorry, the first filled bourbon, which is American oak and is contributing a lot of kind of toffee and vanilla mm -hmm. and quite sweet, um, sweet spiciness. Um, and then uh, some European oak as well with the, with the wine and the sherry casks that um, have more astringency and, and um, slightly more bitter. Um, but have these really nice kind of jammy fruit notes as well. So yeah. um, it was finding a, finding a kind of balance between those different uh, wood types. The distillery character as well, I think particularly at the moment because you're on, you're on five day production. Yeah. So there's, with five day production, normally you have, obviously you're not distilling over the weekend. So you've got a mix of uh, short and long fermentations. Yeah. So normally with shorter fermentations, you'll get more of a kind of multi-cereal um, style of, of spirit. And with longer fermentations, you'll get more um, kind of green grassy or fruity character. Um, and so this, it's kind of a combination of the two. So yeah. you've got that multi-cereal character, um, but you've also got a, a background of kind of fruity, grassy uh, character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that comes down to a number of different factors and how it's produced at the distillery through, right through from milling, mashing, and and fermentation, and and distillation as well, where you've got a kind of quite fast distillation um, through the through the first part of the distillation process, and then quite yeah. hot condensers as well. So Very hot. The, yeah. So they lend themselves to a lighter style um, yeah. as well. So it's kind of almost producing two, two styles at the same time. And, and then blending them in the, in, the, in the vat at the end of the distillery there. So I guess touching on the production process, you know, for those that do have an interest in that, um, without giving away too much of our secrets, of course, um, we're looking for a nutty, uh, a nutty heavy kind of character initially in our new mix spirit. So that comes from, from probably four or five key things. There's, there's more, but the key things are really um, the grind itself, the, the ratio. Of, of how much flour we're going to put in that mash tun. If there's too much, you end up ruining the process and clogging it up, you know, it ends up like porridge. If you don't have enough, then you lose that nutty character potentially. So that's one of the kind of quality control parts. If we get that right, 
everything else should follow as well. But if we get that wrong, it's never going to be right. Um, the mashing itself as well, we, we want to filter that warts off quickly and, and start the fermentation process very quickly. Um, regardless of the long or short fermentation, it's the same process, just that one or, or six of them, half of the week's production is long fermentation over the weekend. Um, the next part of the process, um, you're, you're looking at the distillation, obviously, as Peter said, you want to boil it up really quickly, really fast boil. You want to minimize that copper contact um, to an extent, because the more copper contact, you're going to strip away some of that nuttiness, some of that heaviness, you know. So you want a fast distillation. Um, hot distillation, because I guess at Blade Arthur, we're quite unique, again, because we've got an evaporator plant where we evaporate our pot ale and uh, convert that to pot ale syrup for animal feeds. And we also have a bio plant, which treats our water, our dirty water. So we're, you know, um, I guess, a combination of three different facets on the one site. So a lot of our process is driven by the needs of the bio plant and the syrup plant hot distillate, for example, you know. Um, but it does lend itself very well to the character we're trying to achieve. Shall we move on? Are we uh, ready for the next one, third one? Um, so, this one, I'm taking no credit for um, obtaining this one. Um, I can't even take any credit for being involved in the production of it. Um, Peter found this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I'll maybe let you kind of describe Okay, yeah. On, from the outside, if that's all right. Yeah, so this, this is our, it's um, part of the kind of fill your own bottle um, release that, that you, you can get at the visitor center at Blade Athol. So um, these, are, these are small batches that are, that are released and, and you can, um, yeah, you can fill a bottle of this yourself at the distillery and you can sort of, it's quite good for gifting and you can get, you can personalize the bottle and stuff. Can't yeah, you? You can, I can, I can sign it if you want, right. you know, for no extra charge. It might even devalue the bottle, depends which way you look at it right now. Yeah, so this, uh, it, this was um, Stuart Morrison and my team that worked on this uh, bottling. Um, and it's essentially, this is uh, rejuvenated wine casks. So, um, Essentially, the, the wine casks came into our cooperage and were rejuvenated um, and have, so that means basically removing the inner layer of the cask and then uh, recharring the, the surface of the cask. Um, and that really that was done as a kind of quality control. That's done as a quality control step to an extent when we're when we're um, bringing in new casks that um, we're not too sure about. You know, we can we can rejuvenate them and then. Um, you know, the, basically um, makes them uh, basically the same as a rejuve cask. Um, so these are rejuve wines. Um, and the way that the kind of process worked at the cooperage a number of years ago, it wouldn't remove all the inner surface of the, of the cask. So there's still a bit of kind of wine influence in, in this, um, as well as the, the kind of heavily charred surface. So the char gives you a kind of, um, it removes a lot of the kind of heavier components from the whiskey, but it also um, imparts a kind of spicy, peppery character to the whiskey. Um, but this is, uh, this is European oak again. You'll, you'll probably be able to tell when you taste it that it's quite drying on the palate. Um, and um, that's, that's typical of, um, you know, quite tannic European oak. I think, you'll, you know, this is one that we also try and provide every year, maybe 18 months or so as a, as a special bottling at a distillery. 
Um, as Peter mentioned, you can fill it yourself, which is quite a nice thing to do. Um, Percent-wise, at 56, 56.5%, so quite a big, quite a big hitter, you know. Um, and you can get, well, I certainly get that in the nose initially. You're kind of expecting something, mm, should I or shouldn't I? Always, you should. Um, <laughs> but before the water, you know, because you, you don't want to change it. So it's done as a vatting, so we'll, we'll do a kind of small number of casts, and, and yeah. they're essentially they're put into exhausted wood. So um, each batch of this is done um, as individually as one of those casks that has been um, has been filled from this vatting, but it's not technically a single cask. Yeah. Um, this this particular one is is going to be the next batch for uh, for Blade Athol's fill your own bottle um, when the current one uh, runs out. Yeah. So so this is quite a yeah. So this is batch seven, and yeah. the current batch is is batch six. Exactly. And nobody else has tasted this yet. So the only people who have tasted this out with you know the team are you guys. Nobody else. So don't tell anyone. Um, it, Peter got this, so he'll get in trouble. <laughs> it's not me that's going to get in trouble. But no, this is the this will be in the fill your own bottling maybe later on this year. Um, I'm not sure how much is left of the current one, but this is what's going into the cast next. I think it's important for this one as well that we don't focus on the on the strength or the age per se from a Blair Athol perspective. We focus on the flavour. Um, and that flavour's got to be synonymous with Blair Athol, fundamentally. But then any, any kind of enhancements or any differences we can make that make it a bit more exclusive, different, memorable. Because we know we can produce the 12-year-old, you know, that's, that's our standard, standard kit, right? Um, it is quite a crowded market as well. You know, we're, we're fighting against some of the big guns. Um, but we also want to remain true to the kind of, you know, our, our, our kind of fundamental uh, legacy, which is the 12-year-old. So I think what's happening is we're, I guess, trying to um, be a bit creative um, without losing that kind of inherent, you know, kind of sherry, nutty, spicy um, um, characters. I personally like this one because I think the red wine works really well. It just gives it a little bit of tang and yeah, I love the colour as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think wine casks are they're a difficult one to get right, and I, I think this one it pairs really well with with Blair Athol again. I think that multi kind of almost savoury um, spirit is is working well, um, and so I think like with the tasting, I I personally got almost like. Uh, like fish and chips, like a kind of Ooh. almost savoury, like really. Um, you know, like when you open a fish and chips box. Ah, yeah. Maybe slightly. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe had you just had fish and chips at the time? Maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's got that, and it's got a lot of confectionery notes, a lot of jamminess, mm -hmm. um, and almost like wine gums, kind of yeah. sweet confectionery. In terms of the, the blade apple as a malt, it, it, is, it does have a kind of quite unique... Um, point of difference compared to a lot of the other distilleries within Diageo. So it, the, that kind of nutty, multi style that Blair Athol is, is kind of known for is it, it's, you know, it's, it's always been associated with being a kind of component in blended whiskies. Um, and, you know, for a good reason, because it adds, um, you know, some really important, ele important um, elements to a, to a blended whisky. 
um, in terms of mouthfeel and depth and complexity and balance and, and, and all these different things, it plays a really important role. Um, and But you can see, you know, in terms of <coughs> blade athel as a single malt as well, it, it works really well. Um, <coughs> you know, so it's it, even on its own, it's you know, it's a it's a fantastic whiskey. Um, Thank you very much. And it's it's trying to sort of um, yeah, to, I guess to find its find its place. Um, mm. And but yeah, yeah. You're, it's it's one of the kind of maybe lesser known in, in the in the kind of the, yeah. within the uh, the range of whiskies that we um, that we have. But you know, it should really. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be necessarily. No, and it's a good point that Peter mentioned there, just about you know this is why we're here with the society because it does. It's a bit of a, I wouldn't say niche, but you know we know we know our market here. You know, and and, and I'm certainly talking to people who understand what we're getting, um, understand what we're getting at. So, a bit of story, um, the half and half. You might remember it, you know, Martin, the half and half with uh, wasted degrees who are based, a small craft kind of brewery, you may have heard of them, um, friends of mine, um, and uh, they're based in Blade Athol, double L, 10 miles up the road from Pit Lockery. Um, so, so we got together and uh, came up with a half and half uh, kind of story, you know. Um, so legend has it, now I can't confirm or deny any of this, but legend does have it, that um, Athol Estates, who owned the land adjacent to Pit Lockery, effectively, um, and they owned uh, a lot of Blair Athol at that time, when land ownership was, was the currency, effectively. There was an argument over boundaries. Um, the distillery owner at the time, or the land, the farm owner, distillery owner, had a falling out with the, the Athol Estates um, management. Um, he wanted to call the distillery Blair Athol Distillery, but they said, no, you can't do that. We're Blair Athol, you're Pitlochry, you're not doing that. So to get around that, he took one L off the end, Hence, keeping Blair Athol, but not Blair Athol. <laughs> so, and that stayed, um, certainly for 150 years. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a few versions of that story or sequence of events purely for the tour, um, for those uh, visitors that are coming, a, a bit of romance, you know, and a little bit of, um, how can we put it, fabrication. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm led to believe. Interesting uh, situation. So, I'm gonna, I don't know too much about this one, to be fair, <clears throat> but I know what it's probably gonna taste like. Peter's got a bit more information um, about this, um, but uh, I can tell you that uh, I've never tasted it before. I didn't know it existed. Peter found it um, somewhere. I'm not sure where he keeps this stock, but it was a, it's a pretty special stock. So, um, yeah, I'll hand, <laughs> I'll hand over to Peter to give you a bit of, a, a bit of an expectation. Uh, on it. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. Yeah, so this is a so it's a single cask. This one, it's a, a refill cask. So it's a it's a um, refill sherry butt. Um, it's got quite a bit of colour, as you can see. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is Blade Athol that was distilled in 1991, so it's now 32-year-old uh, whiskey. Uh, it's still maturing at the moment, so this is a cask sample from that, from that cask. Um, and yeah, it's got, you'll, you'll see on the nose, um, there's, a, there's a kind of what we would describe as cake mix in terms of the, the nosing 
um, or the, the spirit character. It's, it's got a lot of kind of um, dessert-like quality, quite sweet. Um, there's a slight kind of almost rubbery character in this that's you know can be typical of mm -hmm. uh, refill uh, sherry butts, um, but it's really nicely balanced with the you know the kind of Blair Apple spirit character. Th this is a kind of time where the distillery was a lot more variable in mm -hmm. terms of what it was producing. Um, the you know the <laughs> level of control that you were talking about earlier in yeah. the distillery. The level of control now <clears throat> in the process is a lot more, um, well, in control. Um, consistent, yeah. Consistent, yeah. Thank so, you. Um, this this is a time where the there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, of control in terms of the the yeast that was used in fermentation. Mm -hmm. um, there was the use of brewer's yeast at this time as well. So, co-pitching with brewer's yeast and distiller's yeast, um, and. Uh, yeah, uh, you'll see what you think. Uh, you'll, you'll find as well, just to pick up on Peter's um, notes, that lots of things have changed in the past 30, 40 years in terms of the malt varieties available to us, the, the quality of that malt, the expected yield, yeast, as Peter mentioned as well, brewers, v distillers, vast differences. And the quality of the yeast now, the, the, the kind of complexity of the yeast is fine-tuned to distilling. Um, also, the controls on site, um, you know, efficiencies, the kind of, the, the more instrumentation we have now to control that parameters and, and consistently control them, they didn't exist for the most part 30, 40 years ago. A lot of reliance on human, human intervention, human error sometimes as well. So I can imagine the blenders were busy trying to correct, course correct quite a lot, you know, um, whereas now there's a lot of reliance on what we produce kind of every week being the same. So, yeah, um, Slangeva. You can tell me what you think. That's 45, 45.7. So it's, yeah, it's natural cask strength, so it's yeah. 40, 45.7. Um, so it's lost a lot of strength during, obviously the, the cask was filled at around 63 and a half, but it's lost a lot of strength over that time. Mm. Um, and it's become, you know, really kind of, um, you know, more accessible in terms of it's, you know, it's not too harsh. It's obviously mellowed out a lot. Mm -hmm. It's in a refill cask, which I think it, for older whiskies like this, they, they <clears> tend to be, they tend to be uh, produce better whiskies because if you put, you know, you know, really old first fill or virgin oak or, um, or even second fill can be a lot of wood and a lot of astringency and a lot of bitterness and dryness and, and wood uh, influence. Um, so this, you can still see the, the distillery character coming through in this mm. even after 32 years. So yeah. um, it's, it's a good example of a, of a an, you know, an older uh, blade after. For me, there's still that sweetiness, that sweetiness, that sweetness um, and fruitiness in the background. But it has mellowed, you know, there's, there's, there's a nice kind of, kind of plateau in the background that uh, it's not spiky. It's not... You know, for me, it's, it's quite smooth, quite mellow, but hasn't lost the flavour. Um, quite, yeah, I wasn't sure what to expect. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, quite a long finish as well, actually. Dark colour, very dark, in fact. In terms of older, older Blair Athols, um, we do have in our warehouse um, probably three or four 1968s 
um, still sitting. Um, that's the oldest one that I'm aware of. Um, but like I say, Peter pulled this from somewhere. I might not be aware of some of the things that are hidden away, which is quite nice as well, because it keeps it kind of, um, I suppose, a little bit of mystery. Um, we've got 1975s, we've got a few there as well. So there's a good mix. While there's not a massive stock in terms of huge volumes, there's a nice mix in the warehouses at Blairathel. So another reason to come along and have a tour, I'll show you the warehouse, you know, and, and um, we can actually look at the casks. Um, so, but there aren't many left. So if you do want a cask of 1968, I would uh, hurry up and buy one, you know. Obviously, it's a real kind of privilege to get to sample these casks and, and mm. try them. And um, so this is one that we sampled and we, uh, you know, the, who was around in the, in the lab that day, we, we all kind of had a try of it and there was a lot of interest and kind of thoughts about it. And mm. um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really good example of, um, of Blair Athol. But I think that, you know, in terms of the, the inventory, the cask inventory, we, we really kind of need to be careful about how we use it and using it at the right time. And um, a lot of the kind of day-to-day -day in, uh, in terms of blending is about, you know, inventory management and looking ahead at what we're, what we're going to be bottling in, in the coming mm -hmm. years and making sure that we have the, you know, the inventory lined up to, to go into those bottlings. Um, but also kind of forecasting out, you know, the, the, obviously the, the whiskey that we're, or the spirit that we're producing it today is yep. going to be bottled in say 12 years time. <clears throat> it's really, it's really challenging to forecast out that, that far in advance and, um, you know, know the, the volumes that we need and, and all these kind of things. Well, it is to an extent from my position, you know, we're, we're asked to produce a certain amount of volume per year but the people that are telling you to do that are predicting things that are going to happen in 10, 15 years' time. Who knows what's going to happen next year, let alone 10, 15 years' time. So it's kind of best guess. And that's industry-wide, you know, that's not unique to Blair Athol or unique to, to Agio at all. <clears throat> but it does, yeah, it, it's, um, I guess over the course of that 10, 15 years' time, you've got time to adjust. You've got time to kind of sample and maybe take things off in one direction or, or stop them or put them to one side for, you know, something 32 years later. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the 12 or anything like that, you know. So there is that flexibility within that 10 or 15 years or whatever it is, but you have to decide something. I think um, when you think about the number of distilleries that are being built as we speak or being recommissioned as we speak, those are the future ones. You know, they may be old, they may be brand new, but there's also the ones that are long-standing. Blair Athol's been an example, you know, 226 years um, is a long time and there could well be casks hidden away somewhere that we don't know about, we'll never know about perhaps, but they may rear their head at some point. I quite like that kind of mystery or unknown, you know, there's a little bit, there's something about that that keeps me certainly engaged in this industry, you know, and, and, and enjoying whiskey. Check out the Society's website at smws.com for upcoming events where you can learn more about the whiskey world and taste some amazing whiskies for yourself. For more whiskey adventures and knowledge, don't miss Unfiltered, the magazine for members of the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, which we publish at the start of every month. Find out more about that, who we are, and what we're all about by going to smws.com. That's it for this episode of Whiskey Talk. Until the next time, cheers. <laughs>